0: Glad for the rain. and glad you're here today. Hey, we're halfway through June, and uh, we're four weeks out from our Serve Day on uh, July 15th. And Serve Day, if you don't know, is an opportunity for us as a church family to move out into the community, do some service projects for neighbors and friends and ministries and organizations in the area. And right now we are in the the phase of registering uh, projects. So if you have something, an idea of something you would like to do, uh, for a neighbor or organization in the neighborhood, uh, that we'd like to hear from you. And so today, actually you can sign up, you can sign up on the church app, you can sign up on the uh, Rockbrook website, and you can sign up out at the uh, Serve Central table in the lobby. Don't get it confused with the donut table. It's the, it's the other one. We'd love to get those projects registered so people can start signing up for those. Uh, We're in a sermon series called God's Good Plan for the Future. And this week and next, I will be speaking on Jesus' glorious return. And uh, next week, we're going to look at uh, seven things that Jesus tells us to do to prepare for his return. Uh, But today, I want to look at some of the promises related to Christ's return. Promises, promises. And uh, one of the foundational truths of the Christian faith is the promise that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back to earth. In Acts, the book of Acts in the Bible, chapter 1, where it describes Jesus' ascension into heaven, it also gives us the promise of Christ's return. And uh, Acts 1, 9 through 11 uh, is our theme verse for this series. So we'll take a look at this. It says, after he said this, and I want to stop right there, and after he said what? And I want to go back and look at verse 8 and see what Jesus said. Uh, In verse 8, Acts 1-8, he said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I want you to consider something today that that I think is really cool and I think it's something that, that you ought to know. So this is about the year 33 A.D., There's no planes, trains, and automobiles. Most transportation is done on foot, occasionally in a horse cart or horseback, maybe a ship. But Jesus tells this group, his disciples are there, he tells this group, a poor fisherman, a tax collector, a zealot, etc., etc. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, you will be my witnesses. It's not just a command, it's a promise. It's a promise. Now, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, they're easy. They're they're right there. But to the ends of the earth, to the uttermost parts of the earth, that makes Jesus' statement a pretty bold promise, a a, a bold prediction. But amazingly, those guys, those guys did that Jesus said they would do it and they did it Uh, they were his witnesses in Jerusalem Judea and Samaria and they also went to the ends of the earth they went as far as they could go James the elder went to Spain Spain was as far west as you could go in that day he went to the ends of the earth St. Thomas the doubting one Thomas went to India Thomas was martyred in the city of Chennai in 72 AD. Chennai is on the east side of India. It's on the Indian Ocean. It's 3,126 miles from Jerusalem. Thomas went to the ends of the earth. St. Matthew went to Ethiopia. Ethiopia is 1,600 miles straight south out of Jerusalem on the east coast of Africa. It's on the end of the earth. Saint Bartholomew went to Armenia. Armenia is 1,282 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It's almost to Russia. These guys went north, south, east and west of Jerusalem. They went as far as they could go. They went to the ends of the earth spreading the gospel all the way. Their commitment to fulfilling the Great Commission speaks to their understanding of the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, go, go to the ends of the earth, and off they went. And it speaks to the authority and the veracity of the promise that's found in our key verse. It says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And that statement, that promise, became an historical fact. That great commission is still being carried out by Jesus' disciples today. Jesus said it. He meant it. It happened. It's happening right now. Jesus is fulfilling his promise. And Jesus promised that he would come back. look what he says about his glorious return in John 14. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And I want you to notice Christ's return is a positive event. As you read through Bible prophecy, there's a lot of frightening stuff going on in there. There's wars and famines and plagues and demons and angels battling and hailstones the size of Greyhound buses and fire falling out of the sky. There's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. There's famine, death, war, conquest. There's blood and guts and icky stuff. There's an armadillo invasion. (laughs) That's not actually in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure it's a sign of the apocalypse. Have you seen the dead armadillos that we've got in town now? Yeah. I mean, evidently the only natural predator of the armadillo is the minivan. (laughs) And you may not know this. There's the armadillo and then there's the quesadillo. And a a quesadillo is an armadillo stuffed with cheese. So um, you can get one over at Jose Pepper. I recommend the quesadillo al pastor. If you can. But I digress. Okay. So there's scary stuff in prophecy. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, Christ's return is a positive event. The promise of Christ's return is good news, very good news if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, there's no good news for you in Christ's return. There's no good news for those who reject Christ. And that's why we encourage you so strongly to put your trust in Jesus Christ because it makes all the difference in the world how this stuff plays out for you. All the difference in the world. Christ's return is either rescue or wrath. And depending on whether you believe in Christ or not, it's rescue or wrath. And we want you on the rescue side. God wants you on the rescue side. And so about his return, Jesus says to his followers, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And Ryland talked about that last week, that right now, Jesus is there preparing a place for us. And you know, this, this story is not just about what's happening here on earth. It's about what's happening in heaven about what's happening in eternity and Jesus has work to do there he says and if I go and prepare a place for you say the next four words with me Uh, are they here there we go (laughs) I will come back I will come back and there's the promise of his return And look why he's coming back. This is important. Don't miss this. It's not because he wants to beat up on the devil or whoop up on the Antichrist. I mean, he's going to do that. But look what he says is the real motivation here. He says, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus is coming back because he wants us to be with him. He wants us to be with him. He said, I miss you. I love you. I want to be with you. That's why he's coming back. And over 300 verses in the New Testament speak of Christ's return. 216 out of 260 chapters in the New Testament speak of Christ's return. 23 out of 27 New Testament books speak of Christ's return. There's a lot of uh, real estate in the New Testament about the return of Christ. And in almost all those references to the second coming, the Bible stresses the importance of us being prepared for Christ's return. The Bible says that those of us in the church need to be prepared like a bride, because Christ is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. And if you've ever been involved in a wedding, you know there's a lot of preparation that takes place. So, if we are going to be the generation to usher in the return of Christ. And I believe that's a real possibility. Now, I know every generation of believers from the time Jesus said this, every generation has hoped that they would be the generation. Every generation has had what they thought were signs of the end times. Every generation has believed that Jesus is coming for them. But i got to tell you, I truly believe that, that we're it. But even if we are not that generation, the Bible clearly teaches that we have a responsibility to be prepared for it. Every generation of believers is part of the bride of Christ. Every generation needs to prepare for the bridegroom's return. I don't want to be unprepared. And so, listen, the purpose of Bible prophecy is not prediction The purpose of Bible prophecy is preparation, okay? The goal is not for us to try and figure out and predict when it's going to happen. God tells us this stuff is going to happen so we can be prepared for it. Classic passage on Christ's return, 1 Thessalonians 4. The apostle Paul says, according to the Lord's word. And I want you to notice here, Paul's saying, I'm not making this stuff up. Since this isn't something I've come up with. This is according to the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you on the authority of the word of Christ. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. So there are people who will be alive when Christ returns. And there will be multitudes of people who have already died. Now, understand that nobody you know that loves the Lord is dead. Okay? Nobody you know that loves the Lord is dead. Their bodies may be dead and buried, but their spirits are alive with Christ. 2 Corinthians five eight says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I've got family, I've got friends, I've got church members on the other side. And their bodies are in their graves, but they are alive with Christ in heaven. And Paul says that on Christ's return that those of us who are still alive at that time we certainly will not precede them who have fallen asleep we're not going to get there ahead of the people who are in the grave for the lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel with the trumpet call of god and the dead in christ will rise first all those people who have died ahead of us their spirits are coming back with christ and their bodies are raised up out of the grave and their bodies and spirits are reunited and it says after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up and it's two words in the english but it's one word in the greek it's the word harpazō harpazō that word means to seize or snatch away I, <clears throat> any of you ever play spoons with your family play spoons yeah you know you you got six people around the table you got five spoons in the middle And you're passing out cards and looking at cards, and when somebody gets four cards alike, what happens? Somebody reaches in, and they snatch that spoon away. You know, they reach in, they seize it quickly. That's the the Greek word. You know, in Greece, they don't play spoons, they play harpazo. Okay? (laughs) That's, that's uh, That's just what's going on. Now, in the Latin Bible, the word for snatch away or to seize quickly is the word rapturo. And that's why in the church today, uh, we refer to this snatching away as the rapture. So in English, it's caught up, Greek, harpazo, in Latin, it's rapturo. And whatever language it is, you're quickly seized and snatched away. I told Ryland, I said, just my luck, I'm going to die five minutes before the rapture. Okay. So my body stays here. My spirit goes up. Jesus says, hey, come on, turn around. We're going back down. My body comes up. I beat my body and my spirit, and we take I mean, it's boing, 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 boing. And uh, Ryland said, you're going to get carsick. <laughs> and I said, bring it on. Okay. So the dead in Christ are raised, and the living are caught up, and together— with them in the clouds, and and look why we do this, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Notice Jesus' motivation for coming back. The motivation is Christ misses you. He wants to be with you forever. And then he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Not scare each other to death with the gory details. Not confuse each other with charts and graphs and arrows or fight and argue about the date and time. No, encourage one another with these words. Titus 2.13 calls the rapture our blessed hope. It says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I tell you, folks, the promise of Christ's return has sustained my faith for 49 years. Jesus' glorious return is my blessed hope. And whether I'm alive when it happens, or whether my body's dead in the grave and my spirit is with Christ, I can't wait. I can't wait. Now, why does Jesus Christ want to be with you forever? because the church is God's family. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're part of it. And Jesus wants to be with his bride. And so if you've never trusted in Christ, I invite you make the decision to be part of God's family. Come into the body of Christ. Be part of the wedding. Be the bride. Because God loves you, Jesus loves you, and they want to spend eternity with you. It has been God's plan from the beginning. It's why God created you. It's why Jesus died for you. You are a divinely designed human being made in the image and likeness of God. It is a demonic lie of the devil that you evolved out of pond scum. That you're just a freak of evolution that somehow you managed to wriggle out of the pond and grow a tail, and then you shook off the tail and grew hair all over your body, and then you lost hair off your body except for on your head, some of you. And, uh, you know, that's what the world wants you to believe. And we complain that kids today act like animals, but, but that's what they've been taught. You know, they, they've been taught you went from goo to the zoo to you. And that's not true. It's not true. That's not who you are. You are a fearfully and wonderfully made creation of God, created in his image and designed to live in fellowship with him forever in a wonderful place that he is preparing for you. Now, the first two chapters of the Bible start out so beautifully with creation and the Garden of Eden. And then in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the picture. And chaos reigns through the rest of the Bible. Chaos reigns throughout world history until we get to the last two chapters of Revelation, where God and man live in perfect harmony again. Look at Revelation 21, verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, there's a current heaven now where our deceased loved ones are, but that's not the heaven that we're going to live in forever. That that heaven and this earth are going to pass away, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. You're not going to spend eternity on some cloud out in space. You're going to spend eternity on a new earth, a perfected and purified earth. And for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband." And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Notice how much of this language is relational. It's relational. Among the people, dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. The reason why Jesus Christ is coming is so you can be with him. The reason he left to go and prepare a place is so you could be with him in a new heaven and a new earth. And he has promised to come back and take you to that prepared place and be with you. It's a rescue. It's a reunion. It's a homecoming. It's a honeymoon for Christ the bridegroom and his bride, the church. Somebody say amen. now the obvious question is when will these things happen if Jesus Christ is coming back when is he coming back the disciples said to Jesus uh, they said tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age and this was Jesus' answer said but about that day or hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. No one knows the day and hour of Christ's return. The angels don't know, not even Jesus knows, the prophecy preacher on the radio don't know. The world runs on God's timetable, not anyone else's. Now that can be frustrating. It can even be a matter of concern to us humans. The believers in the church in Thessalonica, they were asking the Apostle Paul, when when is Jesus coming back? Because they thought Jesus was coming back real soon. And they had family members who had died and were buried, and now they're wondering, well, what's going to happen to them, and what's going to happen to us? And when is it going to happen? And Paul gave them an answer that was consistent with Christ's answer. He says, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates... We do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You're not, you don't know when the thief's going to come. You don't know. Paul, Peter gave the same answer. He says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's unexpected. So Jesus said he didn't know. Paul said he doesn't know. Peter said he doesn't know. I'm in good company when I tell you, I don't know. Okay? And I would tell you, as your pastor that if someone tells you that they know the day and hour of Christ's return, once in a while you'll see, here's somebody on the radio or TV, or somebody's selling, 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 1988. Okay, And then the next year he changed it to 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1989, because he needed to sell more books. Don't listen to them, they don't know. The point of biblical prophecy is not so you can figure out the day when Jesus is coming back. The point of biblical prophecy is so that you will be prepared whenever he comes back. The purpose of prophecy is not prediction. The purpose of prophecy is preparation. God wants you to be ready when it happens. Now, one of the things that God wants us to be ready for in the end times, I'm going to give you two signs of the end times today. One is an increase in in wickedness. Jesus says that in the last days then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. I don't think the Western church the church in Europe and North America is ready for this but we need to get ready because it's coming. Okay. And this is where we can learn from the church in other parts of the world. The church in Africa, India, Eastern Europe, Russia, certainly China. Because believers there are enduring significant persecution. In our pastors network in India right now, we have uh, over 107 pastors in jail right now. And they are arresting an average of five to seven pastors every weekend. They're arresting them as quick as we can get them out on bail persecution is increasing around the world, and I believe it's headed our way. There's a growing anti-Christian sentiment rising in our country. Jesus said his followers would be hated by all nations, even ours. And look at this warning. Jesus says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. I tell you, to me, that's, that's one of the most frightening verses in the Bible. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. There's the promise. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Christ offers us a promise even in the face of increasing wickedness. There is hope even in the midst of intense hatred and persecution. But you've got to stand firm to the end and not let your love for Christ grow cold. In 2 Timothy 2, 3, or 2 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul warns of this increase in wickedness. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Terrible times, dangerous times, perilous times, grievous times, and then he describes the characteristics of those times. Okay, and the first first description is people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of themselves. That's the definition of Instagram. Okay, that's the definition. I I apologize for that, but this is going to get pretty heavy. I thought you might need a laugh. Okay. Okay, Andrew. Let's. but denying its power. What a brutal list. And it's one thing when it's just a list of bad behaviors in a Bible verse. But it's another thing when it, be, when it begins to describe the country that you live in. When it begins to describe the company that you've worked for all your life. When it begins to describe your school when it begins to describe a neighbor or a friend or, worse yet, a family member, maybe a spouse or a child, when you begin to see hints of these behaviors in your own life. You want to see a sign of the end times? You don't need to look any farther than your own heart. That's why every time the Bible talks about the end times, it includes an admonition for holy living because God wants us to be prepared. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now I tell you, whether we're the generation of Christ's return or not, God wants all of us to be prepared as a bride prepares for her bridegroom. God wants us to be spotless and blameless in his sight. Don't get drawn into the increasing evil in the world. Put your spiritual armor on and stand firm. And Jesus Christ will stand with you. There's another promise about the end times that I want to look at, and that is an increase of the spread of the gospel. Uh, Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So yes, wickedness is increasing, but the gospel is spreading as well. Uh, Look at these two numbers. In 1970, there were 1.2 billion Christians. In 2020, there were 2.6 billion Christians. The number of Christians on the earth doubled in 50 years. There has never been a generation like the one we're living in. No other generation has seen a spread of the gospel like we are seeing today. The gospel is sweeping the globe. If you saw a graph of the growth of the church, it would be a flat line for almost 2,000 years, and then the last 50 years, it skyrockets up. More people have come to faith in Christ in the last 50 years than in the previous 1,950 years combined. In China, where the church is outlawed and functions underground, in Muslim nations, where it's illegal to own a Bible, where persecution is the worst, the church is growing the fastest. Now, sadly, the Western church is declining. The church in Europe and North America is declining. Uh, Out out of all the countries on the earth and 176 countries around the globe, the church is growing. In 17 countries, the church is at a stasis or it's declining. And America's one of those 17. But the world church is growing. The church, you know, we look around in our culture and we think, oh, the church is shriveling, the church is shrinking. It's not shrinking, it's shifting. The largest and most influential churches aren't in the West anymore, they're in Asia and South America and Africa and India. The church isn't shrinking, it's shifting and the western church is being sifted. We're being tested. We're being weighed in the balance. God is testing the western church. Folks, God is testing you. Are you in or are you out? Are you gonna stand firm or is your love gonna grow cold? These end times have a purpose. Daniel 12 10 says, Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. And friends, as your pastor, it's my desire that as we move into these difficult times that you will be purified, made spotless, and refined, that you will be wise and understand. And next week, I'm going to talk to you about how you can do that. But this week, I want you to understand there are only two ways out of this world You either die a physical death or you experience a remarkable rapture. The Bible says we will not all die, but we will all be transformed. So either way, death or rapture, Jesus' glorious return is your blessed hope. Either way, death or rapture, the preparation is the same. Jesus said in John 14, you believe in God, believe also in me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Promises, promises. Jesus promises to come back for us one day. Jesus promises to keep us safe in the face of wickedness. Jesus promises to help us reach every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And Jesus promises us a place to be with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth. Let's get prepared. Let's pray. God, we do thank you so much for your promises. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, this is your moment. This is your opportunity to just settle that issue once and for all, to say, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I believe you're God's son. I believe you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead, and I believe you are coming back for me. Jesus, I want you to be my blessed hope, and I place my trust in you. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, I'd encourage you to cling to that promise, to put on the armor of God, to be prepared to stand firm in your faith and to let Jesus do his glorious work on your behalf. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on Earth.